Have you stopped to ask yourself what happens if you continue to leave your finances unorganized? Don't operate on a strategy of hope that one day you'll just figure it out. When you aren't organized, you waste a lot of time and energy. So let's fix that. I know you want to find yourself in a better situation than you are in today, and you can, and that's why I'm here. If you're a physician wanting to take control over your financial future and take back the freedom you deserve, come hang out with this money nerd. No long hours or sleepless nights, just you, me, and the Financial Residency Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Inman, and welcome back to the show. I know there are thousands and thousands of podcasts out there that you could be listening to right now, but I'm so thankful that you are here with me on this amazing show of getting your financial life organized. And I was working through some of the stuff for the financial fellowship, and I figured that all of you would probably like some assistance in getting organized for the new decade. I like saying new decade versus new year because I'm a nerd, but getting organized sounds boring unless you're super into it, then you're definitely going to nerd out on the show. But I know that all of you will find several pieces of value in this show. So why do you want to get organized? Well, it's like doing a workup. You can't do an assessment or a, a plan without taking a history, doing exam, ordering labs, x-rays if needed. Well, the same thing applies to your finances. You can't expect to make big lifestyle and financial changes without first getting organized and then working through your goals and figuring out ultimately what is really important to you and your family. Now, if you continue to leave everything unorganized, you're, like I said, going to waste a lot of time and energy. Just think of the number of times that thoughts race through your head and through your mind when it comes to your finances and that amount of energy that you waste feeling guilty because you haven't set up a particular account or paid off a certain bill. When you're not organized, you end up wasting money as well because you could be overpaying for a service that maybe you could have negotiated on or had to pay a late fee because you missed a payment. So when your finances are organized, it will then free up your mind to focus on other areas of your life that you likely enjoy a lot more than personal finance. So where do we actually start? And as I go through some of the key points that I've outlined here, I don't want you guys to run off and start by trying to change everything. You got to channel that excitement and in, instead work on getting your finances in order. Then once everything's in a nice, pretty little package, use all that motivation and excitement to take further action. Because that's one thing I don't want you to do is to spend time getting so organized and then completely forget it. And three months later, you have to go start the process over again. So the first thing I actually want to talk about is the concept of a mind map. And this is what we actually do with clients. And if you're not familiar with a mind map, the best way I could describe it on air here is to think of like a spider web that's connecting all sorts of different areas of something or ideas of something. And that something in respects to today's conversation is your personal finances. So in the middle of this, it would have, let's say your guys's names and then branching off from this would be connecting up the different pillars of personal finance. So those would be something like banking, maybe real estate, debts, insurance, stuff like that. And so I wanted to kind of give you a walkthrough of how you could start creating your own mind map that will be kind of the initial 
one page plan that you would have of getting organized. Now you can put as much or as little detail as you'd like on this. Initially, if you decide to participate in this exercise, which I really hope you do, because this is how Taylor and I do our own finances. This is how we do finances with clients, starting with the basics and building on that foundation. I would say, don't write every detail down. It's going to get kind of cumbersome. It's going to make this page turn into multiple pages. Really, we're looking for high level detail here. So the first thing, let's start with the easiest thing is banking. Where do you bank? What type of accounts do you have at that bank? So I'll give examples. Uh, we bank at Ally. So I'd write Ally and then connecting to that, I would then say we have a checking account and we have like six savings accounts. Now, I don't need to go write down what I have in my checking and what I have in each savings, but I think it's nice if I wrote the nicknames down of that. Most of the time when we start doing this with clients, you don't just have one bank. Most of you have two, three, four banks. Uh, and you know, Casey and I talk about a lot on the Friday show, but I'd like you to try to narrow it down to one bank over time. Again, not doing anything yet, but just as you're working through things. The next piece that we'd like to go into is the debt. Now, some of you immediately might be like, ah, no thanks, <laughs> turning this off, right? Don't want to confront it, but it's really important and you need to confront it. So things that obviously are debt are going to be your student loans, right? And this might be taking a full inventory of your loans, figuring out where everything's at. Uh, if you don't know where it is, time to get real and to figure out what you owe for your student debt. Many of you are going to have a combination of private debt and federal debt. Uh, you're probably so used to paying the minimums each month that you might have lost touch with really how much you owe. So for federal loans, you know, go log into you know studentloans.gov, enter your information, and from there you're going to be able to see exactly how much in federal loans that you have, and you'll be able to see kind of what payment schedules you're on. And for private loans, you're going to want to confirm all your accounts by going and actually getting a copy of your credit report because that will show it there. And you can do that actually with a resource like Credit Karma, uh, which is a great free resource. It doesn't negatively affect your credit. Think of it almost as like a read-only version of your credit. And you'll be able to pull that and see what private loans you have. And then of course, I'd like you to follow up and go look at the statements and hopefully everything is correct on that. Other forms of debt would be auto debt. So if you have cars that have debt on them, I would be writing out something along the lines of, you know, what type of car it is. Toyota, I owe 10,000 at 3.5%. That's what I would kind of leave in terms of how much data you would put there. If you don't know that much data, that's okay. You will figure it out as you go through this, but that's all I'd pretty much write at that point. Other forms of debt would be credit cards. Even if you pay off your credit cards in full, take an inventory of what cards you have. I think the most that we've seen someone have is 28 credit cards. Um, not all of them had balances, but 28 is a lot. And I don't really even know how you would mentally be able to juggle and remember all the due dates and how much annual fees are and when those fees hit, it would be a nightmare. Please don't do that. If that is you, good for you if you can manage it all, but likely you can't and you're probably doing something incorrect there. So write out all your credit cards. If you do have balances, I want you to actually put the balances there because it'll be really important to understand how much debt you have on credit cards because that's likely the debt you're going to tackle first. 
if you have any other personal credit or personal loans, uh, those would go in this section. And I'd also probably put the last time you checked your credit. Now, I told you to go pull Credit Karma to see where some of your private loans are, but if those of you that don't have private loans might say, skip that step. Well, I still want you to go run it at somewhere like Credit Karma. Uh, there's other free annual reports that you can go grab from other sites, but that's just the one that I use. And just find out what is actually on your credit. Write down uh, you know, your number if you'd like. I, I don't really care about the number. I'm more concerned with what's on the report than, than anything. The next piece of the mind map would be real estate. So this is if you own a home or several homes, if you invest, this is where I'd put essentially the name of the home, the value of the home, and you can use an estimate like redfin.com or Zillow, even though they're not very accurate. It's just a decent place to start. And then I'd put the mortgage. So 30 year fixed at you know 3.5% and I owe 400,000. Keep it high level. The next piece, on this mind map would be your investments. And this is where you'll write down things like your taxable investments. This could be all the different retirement plans you have. It could be college savings for the kids. It could be your HSAs. This is where all of that would go. And again, keep it high level where it is, maybe name of employer, what type of account it is. And if you feel like it, a balance, this will likely take you some time because most of you have moved around and bounced around different jobs and you're probably forgetting some of your retirement accounts. It's really easy to do. Uh, personal experience. We actually forgot one of Taylor's tiny little accounts that she had worked somewhere for a month. They got open and we ended up moving. And I just got a thing in the mail like a couple of weeks ago that said like, hey, this account's changing over to this thing. I'm like, oh my gosh, I totally forgot. It's so tiny. And it was just a nothing account, but still it's money that is ours that I need to roll out of there. Uh, so even if you do this full time for people, there are things that we definitely miss. We're by no means perfect in that. The next piece I would put down is insurance. And this is going to be really, really important for all of you because you're going to want to talk about what your disability coverage is, group and individual, your life insurance, whether you have group coverage or not. Some of you do, some you don't but also individual coverage that you likely need. I would put down auto coverage. You know, what company is it at? Renters or homeowners insurance. And then of course, umbrella insurance. And if you don't have umbrella insurance, that will probably be one of the first things you end up doing after you have everything organized. And last but not least, I'd have a section for estate planning. This would be your wills, your trusts, your power of attorney, your healthcare directives. And you're not going to list out everything here, it's more of kind of a check the box. Do you have it? Yes or no. So will, do you have a will? If you don't, put none. If you do, congrats and just say yes. But this is kind of the layout where things are high level. Now we have a checklist that we walk through with clients and I thought it'd be really helpful to actually give it to all of you. So in the description of this podcast is a link and that will allow you to uh, basically download uh, our document checklist that we use for our mind maps with clients. Um, I can go over a few things here, but I think it would be kind of a long show if I started talking all about everything. And I think I did a decent high level of the mind map for all of you. But if you'd like a full comprehensive list, again, it's in the description of the show, wherever you're listening, whatever podcast player you're listening on, and you can go and download it from there. So now that you've got all of the documents and everything kind of laid out, you will eventually want to go and 
organize these things together. And we'll talk about that in a minute. But I think this would be a great point now because you've done some preliminary work is to start talking about your short-term and your long-term goals. And I have a ton of content coming out on this. We've also referenced a lot of this in previous shows. We did a whole show with the physician philosopher on setting up smart goals. But if you're married, you and your spouse need to sit down. If you're not, just you sit down. I'd answer, honestly, start with the three questions. Um, I referenced those in episode 154 with when I brought Dan on, who's our, our lead life planner, and he said the question. So I would start with that. But if you're still struggling how to define goals, then here are a couple of questions that I tend to ask our clients. It would be, where are you at right now? And where do you see yourself in the next five to 10 years? And then I try to focus in a smaller bite of time, right? Getting those stepping stones, you know, where do you want to be in three years? Where would you like to be in a year? And as we talk through that, and this is a very bridge version, but as we talk through that, I'm asking them, you know, what could possibly get in a way of achieving those goals, right? What are those big obstacles? And then we're brainstorming and we're writing down ways that we could turn what we thought were obstacles into just things that we can go around or move or replace completely and they no longer become obstacles. So after you do mind map, I would definitely talk on goals and get on the same page there. I'd like to introduce a couple quick little productivity tricks or tips for you guys. So one is that we use Google Drive literally for everything. Google knows everything about us anyway. We utilize the Google G Suite for business uh, for our clients, but also personally, I use Google for everything. And this has really helped Taylor and I be on the same page. She knows where everything is. Granted, she never wants to look at it, but at least she knows where it is. So if I get hit by that bus, and it's doom and gloom, I know. But if I get hit by that bus, she knows where to go, what we have, where things are at, and all that kind of good stuff. So we have a good organizational structure in Google Drive that basically outlines where a lot of our documents are, our insurance documents, some of our bank statements, some of our investment accounts, um, our real estate properties, stuff on my business. So she knows what to do if something happens. Thankfully, Casey is also here to help her with that. Uh, I don't actually know 100% what we do with the podcast. It'd probably be Casey jumping on and saying he got hit by a bus. Sad. I don't know. We'll have to think about that one. That's something I haven't organized. But for the rest of our financial stuff, it's all in a Google Drive shared with Taylor. And I also do something where a shared calendar. Now, a lot of us out here with our spouses, we share calendars like this is what the kids have. and This is what your spouse has for work or whatever. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about a shared calendar for financial tasks. So you can set up the idea, let's just say, is that you wanted to contribute X amount of dollars to your IRA. Let's say it's the full amount, 6000 by June 1st. You can set a different calendar up, at least in Google, that will ping you on June 1st and say, whatever you type in, make sure you make your contribution. And you can set up different tasks. It could be reminder to budget or to check in and and look at things. It could be that if you manage your own investments every month or quarter, depending on when you like to rebalance, that it pings you and tells you to rebalance. Personally, I would get super annoyed if I saw this always on my calendar. So I hide it, but I do a notification in Google that basically will send me an email one day before when I need to complete that task. And then I have it send me another email the day that it needs to be completed so I can 
make sure I get it and go, oops, it is on my calendar. And then I can actually allot time sometime that next day for whatever I need to do. The other little productivity that's really helped us, uh, not only as a business, but personally is LastPass. I absolutely love this complex passwords, remembering things like that is a thing of the past with LastPass. And there's other ones out there. So it doesn't mean that LastPass is the best one. It's just the one that I happen to use and that we use as a business. But I absolutely love it because I remember one complex password and I remember my email address. If I can remember those two things, I can get into anything I want. And that's because LastPass will allow me to go create a very complex password. I think most of my passwords are like 20 characters, numbers, digits, whatever. And I can't tell you a single one of them, but it'll allow me to generate this. And then when I log in, let's say to my bank, I update my password and I save it to the LastPass vault. I can access it on my phone. I could get on Taylor's computer, just log into lastpass.com and have everything right there. So I no longer need to remember passwords. I remember one password. And if I use it on my phone, the iPhone lets you log in with your face. So I don't even have to remember the complex password anymore. But if something happens to me, Taylor can go in and she's my emergency contact and it will actually grant her access to whatever I've given her access to. So if something happened to me that she could get into those accounts and wouldn't be able to. Now, granted, she has her login for pretty much everything that I do, but I like backups. I'm big on backups and redundancies and things like that. One of the next pieces I want to talk about is document retention, right? And I get asked a lot is what should I keep and how long should I keep it? And then where do I actually put it? And I think it's funny. So I kind of look at, there's different rules. There's some stuff you just shred, right? How many pizza coupons do you really need? Just shred that stuff, throw it away, whatever you'd like. But for financial related stuff, there's like a three-year savings hold. Uh, there's a seven-year retention and then kind of the my forever rule. So on the three years, I really hold bills, like our household bills, anything that I can't do. So like there's a special assessment that came for my house. I'm going to hold on to that for at least three years. Sometimes some of the bills that come, I would like to make sure that I have a backup of it and I'll hold it for three years and make sure that that is credit card statements. I really just take the annual summary and I save that. I don't save every month to me. That seems excessive and receipts for big purchases. I don't save receipts for everything unless it's for the business. Then I obviously save that, but our personal stuff, I don't save that unless it's the big things. And really it's for the guarantees or warranties. Our seven-year holds are usually our bank statements. I download these each month because banks usually make us pay a fee for anything longer than two years. So if you're like, oh shoot, that's a good idea. I want to go do that. You likely can't go back longer than two years. And if you expand that out over multiple banks, you could see how this could get really ugly, really fast and get annoying to go back and do that. But I would highly recommend going back, even if you didn't have much money, going back and grabbing that. Other things that you keep on the seven-year mark would be like your year-end pay stubs, um, stuff that summarizes benefits through work and taxes paid, contributions to your 401k, your tax return, along with every piece of supporting document that you basically sent to your CPA or that you use to build your own tax return. Because even though the statute of limitations is really three years from the filing date, I still want to keep it in that seven-year bucket in case I get audited. I might be a weirdo, but that's what I like to do. And then our forever bucket is really just our annual investment statements. 
And I'm doing this mainly for the cost basis on my investments because it could be possible in the distant future when I go to sell something that something got crossed and I want to make sure that I have backups. It would be a major pain in the butt if I had to go back and if I didn't have it and having to go back, oh, I don't even want to think about it. So I'm just thinking of all like the special dividends or stock splits. So without really good documentation, AKA those annual investment statements, that might be a real big pain. I'd also keep all your insurance documents. That is incredibly important. And I don't think I would really ever get rid of those uh, unless you probably hit financial independence and you let those policies lapse. Say why they're in effect, keep everything and definitely keep your estate planning documents. Those are critical. Do not put those in a, I know some people uh, decide that they want to try to get organized and then they put them in a safety deposit box and then something happens and you're stuck. If you got disabled or if you pass away, like how's anyone gonna access that? So don't keep those there. Have some sort of structure, uh, filing structure at your house um, and then I'd also make sure to make all these things digital. So you need to create that organizational structure and everyone's different. So I'm not going to go into crazy detail on how to have a paper structure, folder structure and all that kind of stuff. But one little tip of advice is I would, whatever structure you decide to choose, I would print it out and I'd put it in the drawer so you can go back and reference it. Or if something happens to you, whoever needs to come and look at your documents can have a quick reference guide, just a little one pager. You don't have to be a nerd. Like I didn't laminate it. I know I'm a big nerd. It's all good though, but I'd keep everything possible as a digital copy. I mean, storage and thumb drives stuff so cheap, but I wouldn't have 20 storage drives. I would have one, one backup. And a lot of times, and I still have hesitations on the cloud, I necessarily know they have backups and redundancies, but I still want to have my own. So for our work, we use Google Drive. I then use spanning to back up Google Drive. And then I have a physical copy of our drive. And I go through once a month, pull all the files off because it's important uh, to me. So I have backups of backups when we're talking about really, really important stuff here. If you do decide to have a safety deposit box, whether you keep coins or titles and deeds, marriage license, like whatever you guys keep in there. You could even have a backup thumbnail of some of these important uh, documents digitally inside there. Whatever it is, make sure you have a key and a letter of instruction that if you do pass away, this is kind of the step-by-step -step action process. Now, I'm getting kind of in the weeds here, but as you're organizing things, you will come across this. Just write little notes to yourself of, hey, I should probably do this or that. Not necessarily go do it right this second because I still want you to focus on getting organized, but make sure that you're actually going to go back and do these things and not just forget it. So kind of write out some of your notes. Now, I'm going to have a ton of content coming out in February on budgeting. So I don't want to go into this, but just realize that you're probably going to need to track your spending. So just come to terms with it. And, you know, you're going to, as you're going through this though, like I do want you to make note and analyze your subscriptions because you will see that in your expenses and your statements and all that. Just keep a mental note or write it down. I prefer to write it down because I don't have a, the best memory and analyze your subscriptions. Make sure that it really is stuff that you want to watch, keep whatever it may be. 
organizing your snail mail will help you guys get organized. Now, if you think about it, it's snail mail, I think is really annoying, but it's still going to happen. We're always going to get it. Uh, you know, I love getting, you know, 400 pizza coupons or whatever it is, or come wash the windows. It's annoying. But the good news is like Taylor actually takes care of all the junk mail for me. And then we have a system that allows me to go through it efficiently. And I don't go through it every day. I go through it once a week and Taylor goes through, pulls out all the junk mail. She grabs, whether it's a magazine or whatever it is that came for her, she organizes her own thing her way. But what works for me in the finances is then every week we have a set spot that we put it and it's just patiently waiting for my review. And so then it sits there and then at basically one time during the week, I go through and make sure that all of our finances are taken care of by making sure that I address whatever came in the mail. And I would like you to take that same example and use that to organize your email inbox because that's really, really important. You don't want to have your email start exploding and all those files everywhere and it gets really overwhelming really, really quick, especially the amount of emails that I get. So as much as I want to be inbox zero, that is just not realistic for me. I try so hard and it's just not. But what I don't do is I don't open an email, read it, and then close it back and go to the next one. That would be like going to my mailbox, opening it up, sifting through, taking one piece of mail out, and then sticking all the mail back in and walking inside. Like that would be ridiculous. No one in the world would do that with snail mail, but we all used to or do that with our emails. So have an email system that works for you. The market is, does it need to be reviewed? Do you need to respond? Or is it something you can just archive right away? That has helped immensely with all the documents, all the things that kind of flow in and out of this. And the last piece that I want to talk about here is just scheduling periodic checkups for your accounts. Now, there's certain things that happen daily, right? Your mail, your email. There's certain things that happen monthly, right? It could be statements, it could be bills, receipts, things that happen quarterly, like your investment accounts, or annually, like your pay stubs, your 1099 your tax related items, like that stuff's really important. So make sure you're going through and periodically keeping these things up to date. And the big benefit of all this, when it comes time to do your taxes, everything is nice and organized. So hopefully this was eye-opening for all of you. Hopefully you got a couple bits, uh, tidbits out of this. Now, we all know that money doesn't define who we are, but like it or not, it's a big part of our lives. That means that getting our finances organized means gaining control over a major aspect of your life. Now, you of course can tell just by the way I talk about it, like I get really excited to share these tips with you. And it's because I personally know how rewarding it is to accomplish these. So hopefully you've already started on these in some form or fashion, but if you haven't, then there's no better time than to start right now. Hope you guys have a great week and I will see you soon. Cheers.